I walked up my street on Saturday and my aunt had not seen me yet. And I was wearing like light colored aviators and she like is driving by. She just slams on the brakes and she goes, what the? And welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Brett Fortnum here with Colin Lerner, Joe Shell, and Kevin O'Keefe. It's been a long few days of Syracuse sports. Uh, we had the loss to BC Saturday. And just a couple hours ago, we learned that Dior Johnson, the big commitment for 2021, will probably not be coming to Syracuse. Johnson was the biggest commit to Syracuse since Carmel Anthony, also from the famed Oak Hill Academy. Matt Gutierrez with The Athletic is reporting that the reason that Dior decommitted, he framed it as more of a, a mutual parting of ways, is over academic concerns. There's also been rumors ever since he did verbally commit that Johnson might just pull a Darius Baisley and go straight to the G League. So I'm curious, guys, the first news out of basketball season is losing the biggest commit the school's had in 20 years. Should we lose hope? Obviously, it doesn't have a direct impact on this season, but what does it mean for basketball going forward? I don't think it's as indicative of a Syracuse issue as it is a college basketball issue. I think, just like you mentioned with uh, Darius Baisley, I think we're going to see this a lot um, with a lot of these uh, top 10, top 15 kind of guys. So sure, it's, you know, not great, but no, uh, don't lose hope. We still have a solid team. And like I said, I think this is gonna, you're going to see this a lot. And I don't think this is a knock on Syracuse. I think this is just the way that the NCAA is trending nowadays. Yeah, I never really got my my hopes up that, you know, the Dior Johnson commit was locked in. It just seemed a little premature to get really excited about that. But I'd still say that he had a positive impact already. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think guys like Frank Anselm and Benny Williams had referenced Dior Johnson committing to the reason why they chose Syracuse in the end. So, I mean, he's by no means gone. I mean, it's just so early for someone to have committed that I never really got my hopes up on the front end. But but at the same time, he's he's brought additional talent to the recruiting class for this year and next year. Uh, I think Benny Williams is 2022. And then obviously Frank Anselm will be 2021. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still excited about where the program's headed. But yeah, the Dior Johnson decommit really does suck. Frank Anselm's on, on the team this year. He's a freshman this year. Benny Williams is class of 2021. So he'll be on the team the following season. Yeah, I, I meant... Yeah. Just for cl- yeah, just for clarification. Yeah, by 21, um, I meant this season. By 22, I meant next season. Yeah. I'm not going to lose hope or faith in this basketball program because... A 17-year-old kid changed his mind about where he wants to play basketball. It's important that we don't get too wrapped up in recruiting too early because this stuff happens a lot. I don't think this worries me a whole lot, and it might actually be a relief in the long run because of one important piece of information I saw that only one person reported this evening, Mike McAllister included in his tweet about this happening, that it was a mutual split and both parties were happy with the departure. Which leads me to believe that those red flags that Brett kind of alluded to academically and possibly something else going on. I mean, the kids bounced around three different high schools already. You get the impression that if they're calling this mutual, the staff wants to use that scholarship on someone else anyway. What I think this helps with is getting uh, JJ Starling. I think this gives us a better shot 
to, to get him. He's a Baldwinsville native, who I think went to prep school somewhere else now, but played most of his high school career locally. So I think when you see a report that it's mutual, it leads you to believe that maybe this is a good thing in the long run, that we might get a player who's, you know, not quite as talented, but still a really good player and might stick around for two or three years instead of one. So I try not to put too much stock in a kid who may not have even stayed for that long. And it, it reminds me of the running back who committed to our football team six or seven years ago. I remember his last name was Washington, Robert Washington. He was like a five-star recruit and he committed super early and then he decommitted. And I followed up on him a couple of years ago and he never really played anywhere. There were a lot of red flags on him coming into college. And it just never worked out for him. And I was worried that this might be one of those situations. Not to mention that from the beginning, we kind of figured he might jump right to the pros anyway, even if that wasn't necessarily the NBA right off the bat. So, yeah, it stinks. But I think we're still seeing a noticeable uptick in recruiting regardless of this. And I think this gives the staff an opportunity to use that scholarship on someone else who's still really talented because this happened so early. Baisley's decommitment did not happen this early and they were screwed. And they were scrambling to fill that scholarship. This year, we have a lot more time to fill this spot because he's not until 2022. So hopefully they still get a good player out of it. Joe, there are a few different outlets that, to, to completely back up what you're saying, that have reported that the decommit situation was a mutual parting of ways. I saw Syracuse.com had that. The Athletic had that as well. McAllister might have had it first. I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't um, see me, it in Gutierrez's initial tweet. Maybe he added it later, yeah. Yeah, he, he tweeted again that one of the flags was that Johnson left Oak Hill. That was injury-related, too. Yeah, I, I saw he had a stress fracture in his foot, which was described as minor, which is the only time in my life I've ever heard a stress fracture in your foot described as minor. But let me read uh, Dior's statement he put this out on twitter he said first off i want to thank the entire syracuse coaching staff for investing their time into me they have treated me with the utmost respect which is why they will, will remain one of my top schools with that being said i would like to reopen my commitment and look at all my options and do what's best for me in my career please respect my decision thank you and god bless now i'm gonna say for the probably millionth time on this podcast if it's better for dr johnson to go to a different school, that's what he should do. He owes Syracuse nothing right now. I think, Joe, again, you're absolutely right that he did it early enough where he's not really putting us in a bad position. We can still fill that scholarship with a good player. I guess my reaction is that he was the guy we were kind of hoping might put us over that edge to, to get off what seems to be the permanent bubble and possibly bring us back into that elite program situation. And by no means does losing him mean we won't get there. It just, to me, means that it might be a tougher climb. You're losing a very talented player. So, I, I mean, I worry about that. I, I, I worry about the trajectory of the program and you know how it's been scuffling its feet the past few years and, and where we go from that. We have been picking up some great recruits. Kevin, you mentioned Benny Williams and, and guys like that. And the team this year does look pretty good. And I almost I'm, don't want to recruit these guys yeah. anymore because I think it hurts the depth of the program more in the long run because we're not Duke or Carolina. If yeah. this happened to Duke, they would have another five-star waiting to take that scholarship. We don't have that luxury. So even if he did come, and was the star we hoped and tore it up for a year. Then we lose him. 
we can't reload like that. So it's almost better to have a guy who, you know, you don't want him to be a project and you don't want him to have to develop too much, but a guy who might stay two or three years, we can't reload year after year. So one and done doesn't really do a whole lot for us moving the needle as a program altogether. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, we're not Kentucky where we're getting five of these guys at a time who can lead us to a you know sweet 16 with just those guys. We're a team who needs to win based on having guys. We're more in the Villanova mold. We need to have guys stick around for a while, have a number of seniors, maybe have you know one or two splashy freshmen here or there. But just having one guy come in is not going to make or break us or in our program. We've, we've seen it. We've had Chris McCullough come in. And then leave. We've had these major, major guys who can bring us to the tournament, but they're not going to put us over the edge. Syracuse isn't built like that. We don't have five of those guys. We'll have one, and then, like Joe said, we'll lose them after one year. So I, I just, I don't think that that is our path to success as a program. I think we have to think about it more in the Villanova-esque way that they go around it and build a number of guys together as a cohesive unit. I don't think we're ever going to have just the silver bullet who comes in and fixes it for us. I would just say that Carmelo Anthony was a one and done. We won the 2003 national championship. And whenever your program has a single year like that, it's a huge boost. So if you have that big year, then maybe you get the next, not the next necessarily five-star, but you get the next very good recruit who will stay for two, three years. I think it's good to have the occasional rocket ship who's around for one year. College basketball is also a lot different than it was in 2003. Undoubtedly. Um, The landscape's completely different, so I'm not trying to put down what you're saying. I just don't know how it applies anymore just because it is so different. I'm going to have to tiptoe around my Carmelo-related statements just because of, of previous disagreements with my starting five for the 21st century. But, I mean, that, that 2003 team had a whole lot more going for it than just Carmelo Anthony. That was a really good team. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure he put us over the top. I think we would have been a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team potentially if, if we didn't have him. Um, my, my point being that it's those guys that stay for several years, learn the system, learn how Bayheim operates, and learn to deal with him uh, that are the ones that can help us, especially now that we're not in that top tier of the conference. But if we recruit guys who, you know, Buddy Beheim being one of them, who is, is getting better every single year, um, I think we're going to be in a good spot several years from now if we keep bringing those guys on. And, and yeah, maybe we get, you know, Wes Johnson. That would be fantastic. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold out for that. In the other basketball news, the ACC schedule did come out. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at it. We have a lot of games that might be on one day or might be the next day, which I, I thought was – Interesting. The most notable dates here, January 2nd, we're at UNC. January 5th, we're home against Florida State. So I'll be an interesting spell. And then we end the season February 22nd at Duke, February 27th at Georgia Tech, and March 1st against North Carolina. What are your guys' thoughts? Does this change how we're looking at the possible, you know, where we stand in the ACC? Are we going to hear... Jim Beheim get out there and complain about the schedule like he's done in years past. I think it, it might be somewhat beneficial because the teams that we play twice, you know, we're, we're, we're not playing Duke twice this year. We're playing Duke only once, and it's a game at Cameron, which leads me to believe that that's a game that a mediocre Syracuse team wins for some reason. Do we play Carolina twice? We do. Yeah. For the most part, the teams that we play twice are predominantly winnable games. 
which is somewhat reassuring. But I mean, we always tend to kind of end the year on a, a tough piece of the schedule. But, it, you know, on one side, it, you can play your way out of the tournament. But on the flip side, you could play your way into the tournament and off the bubble by winning a couple of those games. Yeah, this isn't like football where I see a, you know, Clemson or I see a Florida State and I shudder. I'm happy to see these games. I get up for these games. I think they're a chance for us to show that as a program, we're, uh, we're back. So no, I think this is, if anything, this makes me excited for this season. So yeah, I'm looking here and it looks like we are playing Louisville twice and we're playing North Carolina twice. Duke just once, which is definitely a good thing. I very much want the Georgetown game to happen and to just beat the ever-loving crap out of them. That's up in the air right now. But as far as the conference goes, like, I mean, yeah, I guess if you play Duke once, that's good. But you play UNC twice. And Why is the Georgetown game up in the air? I don't know that I had heard there was an issue with that. Well, it hasn't been officially scheduled yet because it's not – the only thing that's been officially scheduled is the, the conference games. and then as, as far as I know, Georgetown, um, Rutgers, and Bryant, I think they're still happening. I just – maybe they haven't settled on dates for them yet 100%, yeah. but I, I, don't, I don't think there are, there's any talk of them not happening. I just saw this thing that says that the ACC Big Ten Challenge and the Georgetown game are kind of question marks. Their their potential. Uh, hmm. They don't have dates yet, and they I don't know. I'm you, you just never know with those kinds of things. Yeah, we we need those games, especially against Bryant, because you don't want to dive right into conference play because we don't we don't handle that well as we learned last year. No, no. Uh, you, you get away with little to no conference games in college football much more than you do in college basketball. We need, we need tune-up games to start the season. Obviously, we haven't done much of that in football, but at least we had plenty of opportunity to, to get some wins early on, and that, that just didn't happen with the, with the football schedule. Speaking of the football schedule, let's look back at the BC game this weekend. We had a freshman quarterback, Jacobian Morgan, start for the first time this year, and he looked like a okay freshman quarterback but turnovers and penalties cost this team and a close loss to bc and they were in it right until the end any initial thoughts what, what, what did you guys think of jacoby and morgan i think morgan handled himself well i think i think based on the way the season has been going this is a huge win for us we were competitive with the bc team morgan played decently well he showed that he has the arm strength to play at this level. He made the stupid mistakes as a freshman does. We made stupid mistakes as our team does. We took some bad penalties. We had some costly turnovers. But I think in terms of how the season has been going, I was very pleased with how the BC game turned out. Is this a moral victory, Colin? Yeah, I was just gonna... are, you, are you pleased over a moral victory? Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I like what I saw from, from Morgan. Obviously, he didn't light it up or anything, but it was promising. There were more positives than negatives. Three things stood out to me with uh, how Morgan played. One, when he rolls out of the pocket, he doesn't just tuck it and run immediately. He uses his feet to buy more time and was able to complete 15, 20-yard passes on the move accurately. And that's really promising because we got used to Tommy DeVito. When he rolls out, more often than not, he's just going to tuck it and go pretty much right away. Morgan uses his running ability to extend the play 
and his receivers did a good job of getting open for him when he was rolling out. Two, the arm strength is there. I think Kevin or Colin, one of you mentioned his arm strength. It looks it looks promising. When he throws the ball, even if it's just a simple screen pass, the ball gets to the receiver quickly. When Rex Culpepper was playing quarterback, the ball took forever to get there, and that dooms a screen pass to failure. Anytime you're taking a long time to get someone the ball behind the line of scrimmage, it's not going to work. He has zip on the ball. It gets there quickly, pretty accurately. I like that. Three, the play at the end of the game, when it appeared he scored a touchdown and probably did score a touchdown, pocket collapsed, and this time he had an opening. So instead of rolling out to buy more time looking downfield, he took off, and he was fast. He was really fast. I think he's the fastest quarterback I've seen us have in a while. When he really decided to tuck it and run, he went, and it was it was, it was was a good play. So I think he has the tools to be successful. Do I think he's probably ready to be the starter next year? Probably not, but hopefully he's good enough to create some sort of competition and makes the whole quarterback room better in the long run. Yeah, it seemed like the defense kind of held him. It was kind of a bland game to watch, honestly. It seemed like we just didn't have the ball very much, and I think that's because we didn't do very well on third down. We we didn't run the ball overly effectively, uh, and we just really couldn't really keep the clock running. But, you know, the defense kind of did the same thing to BC, the main difference being that we turned the ball over twice and, and they didn't. So, I mean, yeah, I, I chalk it up as a win for Jacoby and Morgan's first game uh, starting. We'll give him a, you know, a B minus, C plus or something. Uh, I guess it could have been a whole lot worse. You know, only only throwing one pick. But uh, I guess I'll channel the Colin from weeks, you know, last week uh, through the beginning of this thing. I want to win games, you know, like it just seems like, we, we just keep starting our football discussions with, well, we lost, but, and, and then we just kind of go from there. I, I just want to get another win. You know, I, I really do. I don't know if it's out there. I, yeah. I really don't know if it's out there. I'm going to hold out for it because that's how much I like wasting my time. It's it's just it's just getting a little discouraging. You know, I mean, and like obviously losing your starting quarterback sucks, but I'd like to be excited for a little bit to end the season, Have have a nice... I don't know. My my ultimate dream being we beat Notre Dame to keep them out of the ACC championship game, or or I, I don't even know how that's going to be played. I don't know if you guys saw the freaking display at uh, I think it was in South Bend where the whole freaking student section rushed the field yeah. and yeah. we all got COVID. But regardless, now Notre Dame is in the driver's seat to to win the ACC. I think it's there's going to be a championship game i mean I, I, there's one scheduled i guess at this point it would likely be would it be unc or, or would it be clemson that'd be playing notre dame yeah there's no division so it'd probably still be clemson notre dame right now so if they got trevor lawrence then i'd feel decent about clemson being able to win that game but just going back to last week i really really don't want to see notre dame win this conference um i'm just i just i'm just kind of done with that before we turn into a, a Notre Dame podcast, I do want to bring up a couple stats from Saturday's game. Kevin, to your point about time of possession, BC had the ball for almost 39 minutes. Syracuse had it about 21. So there's obviously a huge disparity there. And Colin, to your point on third downs, we were 3 of 11. And we've been terrible on third downs all year. 3 of 11 sounds like an improvement over the rest of the season. <laughs> Right, which is which is the problem. And fourteen first downs is way higher than usual. That really jumped out at me. So it it did seem like that Morgan could keep some drives alive, and it wasn't just 
the quick three and outs. And honestly, I think what really killed us probably in the time of possession too were the back-to-back turnovers on back-to-back offensive plays. That's when BC really kind of stretched out the lead. We were, I think it was about a possession game up until that point. And even after the the first interception, which which Morgan threw off his back foot and it was very ill-advised pass from a freshman, um, the defense held him. And then the fumble, they didn't. So I thought the defense played much better. And I know Joe's been saying this week in and week out, but the defensive backs look good and promising. And even though we're out our two best defensive players, it's getting better. And one thing I was actually surprised about was we were getting in the backfield a lot more than I would have expected against Boston College's line, which is just bulky. So I was inspired by that. I won't call this a moral victory because I'm actually against moral victories like Colin used to be. And Colin, if you forgot what you said, here it is. I'm very done with this moral victory nonsense. This like, yeah, it's great. You know, Rex is coming out and doing his thing and we have to do it for the seniors and, you know, this and this and this. Listen, man, things that mattered are the wins and the losses. I don't care that we came close. I don't care that we played well. Yeah, that's nice. The time for that has passed. I'm just having a good day, man. I'm just trying to look on the bright side of life. You know what I would consider a moral victory? If we can play a game this year where a simple handoff up the middle isn't an automatic five yards and occasional 35 yards. That will be a moral victory. Stop the simple run up the middle. That's like the main thing holding us back. We'd have a handful of wins right now if we could do that. Yeah, that has the added benefit of being potentially a real victory because if you can stop the run, it opens up a whole lot of other options. I don't even care if you stop the run entirely. Just... I, that just uh, the right. handoff up the middle being automatic five yards, five yards, five yards, 40 yards, five yards. Even if you still give up like 200 rushing yards, at least make them work for it. Make it hard somehow. I feel like we have this conversation every year, Joe, you and I, I feel like every year we have like the, can we just stop the simple ISO run up the middle? And we I'm never normally can. okay with bend. Don't break defense. And I know that's what we have a lot, but this being where we bend is crippling. Yeah. Especially since I feel like the turnovers have dried up. Or haven't I think we've probably the last three weeks been losing the turnover battle. Yeah, and that's what happens when you're the strong part of your team, your secondary is either hurt or leaving or opting out. Without the turnovers, the getting gashed up the middle, it's just it's the main reason we're losing now. That and the inability to score touchdowns. Turns out if you don't score touchdowns, you're not gonna win the game. John Madden Thanks, told me that. John Madden, yeah. All right. Well, for our newest segment, we have Two in the Box with Colin. This is your two minutes in the box. You do that, you go to the box, you know. Two minutes. Okay. Uh, two minutes by yourself and you feel shame. He's strapping in the penalty box. And then you get free. Let's do Two in the Box with Colin. Colin, what's on your mind? I happened to come across a very interesting article from a very reputable news source recently, speaking, of course, about only the best TMZ here. And if you've been living under a rock for the last, you know, I don't know, four years um, and have no idea what's going on, then surprise, there was a election. Uh, Joe Biden won it. And TMZ seems to feel like this will be a huge boon for our school. So they uh, interviewed Dino Babers, and this is what uh, Dino said. To have the opportunity to be the head football coach at the university where the president-elect graduated from 
I think is huge. Not only is it a huge honor, but I think it's a huge advantage when you can go around the country and say, hey, come to Syracuse University. You can be a president of the United States. Babers added that he hopes to someday meet President-elect Biden calling the opportunity extremely cool. So other than the clear fangirling going on here, do you think that this could actually help bring in some talent to our school as, you know, incoming freshmen? No. No. Yeah, no. Not, no. <laughs> he can he can try using it. Um, I'm not sure it's going to bring in the, you know, I don't think we want, I don't think we necessarily want, not that academics don't matter and a lot of players, you know, do take their academics seriously, but you want kids who want to be NFL football players to play for you. You don't want kids who the first thing they say is, I want to be president. Yeah, the only notable football player to become president wasn't elected, and that was Gerald Ford. So, um, I don't, R- I don't, Ronald Reagan played college football, didn't he? He played Newt Rockney. After you mentioned this, Colin, on 247 Sports, they have a headline that says, Dino Babers counting on Joe Biden to help Syracuse's recruiting. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Are we really grasping at straws that much? Like, I just, I, I hope that that's the only time that TMZ interviews Dino. I hope there is no other reason for TMZ <laughs> yeah, to get anywhere no close to Dino Babers. To be fair, uh, they did end this article with a nice little gut punch by saying, as for the orange, they could certainly use some help. They're currently one in seven and last in the ACC. So not only are our hopes currently pinned on the incoming president, but apparently, uh, hey, guess what? We're bad. Just in case you didn't know. Hey, so that actually brings up an interesting point. Did you guys realize Liberty is ranked? Does that make that loss feel any better? Nothing about Does it make it feel better? No. On paper, obviously, it, it, it makes it less bad. I mean, they're a good team, but it makes me more mad the fact that they are a good team. Is it is it a moral victory, Colin? It's an immoral victory. Oh, kiss my ass. <laughs> Glossing over the, the fact that you just said moving on to an important point, does that mean that Colin's point was not important? Yes. Okay. Well, gloss. It doesn't. It doesn't say that. It just. It just implies it strongly. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw the end of that Liberty game on Saturday, but it was wild. They kicked a comically long field goal, and the the field goal w- was like flubbed, and Virginia Tech ran it in for a touchdown. And that was the last play of the game. There was, it felt like 10 minutes of celebrating. And then the refs threw a flag and said that there was a false start on Liberty, who then obviously said, thank you very much, sir. Uh, we, will, we will accept that penalty because <laughs> uh, obviously you have to accept a false start. And then they kicked again from five yards back and it ended up being like a 59-yarder and he drained it. Uh, game over. Liberty wins undefeated. Now they're ranked. I don't want to disregard everything you said, but they called a timeout. There, it wasn't a false start. Virginia Tech blocked the field goal. I've always done this, VT coach Justin Puente said. I don't believe in waiting until the last second to call a timeout in the situations. I hollered timeout, and I guess I waited too long. That's what I told the team. It's on me. Baber had a 59-yard attempt blocked with eight seconds left. I don't know. It was. I, I think that, that that ending was just one of the weirdest Things I've seen, especially for a team like like Liberty playing up against a perennial contender like Tech, and I think it's there's just something special about 
Liberty this year. I don't, I don't that know. sounds like an interesting college football moment, but I don't need anything to remind me that they're still an institution of lower learning. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, you know, when those those years when it just seems like the fates are on your side. I'm, I'm reminded of like the the Giants when they made their Super Bowl runs. Like like weird shit would happen where they bounce off someone's helmet and then end up in the receiver's lap and they'd score a touchdown just by accident. David Tyree, man. David Tyree. Yeah, I mean that. But I mean like, you know, things of that nature. It just seems like like Liberty just seems to be falling into wins like they did on Saturday. Uh, I'm hoping they get their comeuppance because I don't – I mean, I don't know. I guess it looks better for Syracuse. But, uh, but, but yeah, yeah, that was a, definitely an interesting football moment for sure. All right, guys, and this is the first. The three IL pod hotline is is open, so we're gonna we're gonna go to colors. We we have uh, Matthew. Matthew, line one. Matthew, welcome to three IL pod. How are you tonight? I'm all right. Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. Real, in- real, real interested in. Uh, got a lot. Got a lot to talk about. Got a lot on my mind. You know. Uh, first of all, first of all, Syracuse football season. What the hell is that? I mean, it's just going off the rails. What we got? We got a bunch of freshmen out playing now, and we got we had to. I mean, what a mess! What a menace! And the quarterback, the first, the starting quarterback, Tommy DeVito, was he been doing nothing, nothing? And then, you know, now we've got this new guy. I'm excited about him. And then you know, now we got this Dior Johnson's leaving. You're know, not going to come to Syracuse, decommitting. Syracuse sports is falling apart, falling apart. It's over. They rebuilt it. It's because they re-put a new permanent roof on the dome. They should have never done that. They should have never done that. It took it all away. That that just ruined it. Ruined the aura of Syracuse sports. Clearly, clearly. Uh, love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, but uh, you know, I I just you know, it just seems it just seems things are going off the rails. On the other hand. Yo, last time the football team was this bad, they beat Notre Dame, which has me real excited. And you know why they need to beat Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame currently is in contention not only to win the ACC title, but to actually go to the college football playoff. They, I do not want Notre Dame fans out here saying, well, one year we were in the conference and we won the conference. We're the best. We can't have that. And I can think of no better way to destroy Notre Dame's hopes for their only conference title that they could ever possibly win in their history than for Syracuse to beat them at the end of the year in December and crush their dreams. So I think that would be great. I think it's something we should we should have happen. And uh, I think that would make up for all the crap that, uh, that has been uh, the football team in the 2020 season. That would make up for like all of it. I don't know about you guys, but I like this guy's points. I kind of want him to be a regular contributor to the podcast. First and last we time we think? take a call. Our standards aren't that high, so I guess you're in, Matt. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, oh. You did lose your accent about three quarters of the way through there. Not Bro, even. You, 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 went, you went from like Jersey Mike <laughs> yeah. to Kramer to Matt from Pennsylvania. Well, you know, I had to hit a little bit of everything just to just to you know give the feeling, uh, you know, had to you know had to come in hot like the Mike Francesa callers, 
which are amazing. I, I look that show is crap except for the fact that the callers are amazing because they they propose the worst possible trades and uh, and think it's smart and then just sit back and say, oh, hey Mike, you know uh, I think it'd be great, you know I. You know, the Mets have this guy in double A. We should uh, trade him to the Dodgers for Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I'll uh, hang up and uh, hear what you thought. And this guy, where do we get And then Mike Francesa doesn't say anything because he fell asleep on the air during the phone call. Yeah. I actually, I was driving home at like 2 a.m. listening to uh, Steve Summers. And some guy called on and then was just snoring when they actually brought him on to actually do the conversation. (laughs) He was just asleep. Mike Francis legit fell asleep on the air, taking a call. He was doing a phone interview, and he's just like nodding off in his chair. Yeah, well, he's I'm also doing... a moron with bad opinions. Well, that's understandable. I mean, Mike Francis saw the first baseball game ever played. I mean, like he's been around. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be awake if I was Mike Francesa. <laughs> this is this who was the guy that admitted to committing a crime, like on a. What? Oh, it was the Alabama Auburn guy, the guy who killed the tree. Well, what what show is that? Uh, Fine Bomb. Fine Bomb. That's what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The guy who like poisoned the tree and he like admits to it, <laughs> and they like. He's it. like, yeah, I poisoned that tree. Who we got for the mouth okay. real quick? Who who you know? Everybody, pick one real quick. Give me uh, John Rom. John, I love Matthew. that. I love that hole in one on that par three. That was magical. <laughs> he's got the magic this this weekend. I think Justin Thomas is gonna pull it off. Um, I'm going down. The, I'm just going down with Xander Shoffley. Uh, I, I put money on him for the uh, for the U.S. Open, and I I was disappointed. But yeah, I, I'm in on I'm on Xander. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to go with Kapka. Kevin, what about the guy you went to high school with? Is he still good? Patrick Reed won the Masters two years ago, and yep. he hasn't really been heard from much since. I mean, he's and, consistently like top ten, but, top. Yeah, but he is a sneaky pick for the Masters because he went to Augusta State for college and he knows that course back and front. Well, he started at Georgia and then he stole someone's clubs or some shit. Yeah, and he had to he had to transfer to Augusta State and which is like down the road, isn't it? UGA is in Athens, and that's like you know a little ways away from Augusta. Mm-hmm. But the golf team, I think, plays Augusta like regularly, so I think he got to know that course like nobody's business. And then that's why he won the masters a couple years ago, but I don't think he's really in that top tier um, of the rest of them. I think he knows Augusta really, really well. Yeah. I'll take DeChambeau. Honestly, I mean, DeChambeau, Kepka is a great pick. You know, I'll let you go with Kepka since, uh, yeah, but I'll go with DeChambeau. I mean, he won the most recent major. He's definitely, Changing the game a little bit again. I mean, he he takes everything literally to a science. He's also going to be taking a longer driver out. I saw, yeah, forty-eight inches, yeah. man. Forty-eight inch driver. Forty-eight inch driver. One allowed. Well, Dechambeau was uh, in, in an interview this week. He was asked about you know, he he has a sizable advantage since he hits the ball so far. Like what he's going to do on each hole, and he like laid out his like, oh yeah, I'm doing this with an eight, this with a nine. You know, wedges right there, and some someone was mapping it out. It, like he, his driving ability should give him a substantial advantage over, like on ten of the eighteen holes, just hands down. But yeah. I'm I'm going with Kepka because, you know, Kepka has 
has the power and a little bit more of the finesse, and I never want to pick the the heavy favorite, which for some reason is DeChambeau right now. Yeah. Well, he won the most recent major, so the the person who wins the most recent major is frequently the favorite in the next major. So, um, but in, in, any Tiger sightings? Uh he played. Uh, what two weeks ago? He played at that tournament that was supposed to be in Japan, but it was yeah, in he California. At the, he didn't uh, do very well. He couldn't. Uh, no, I couldn't play. Now, well. I just mean, do you think he'll even be relevant this weekend? No. I uh, he's the defending champion, but yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I I think um, you know, here's the thing: what worked for Tiger last year, and you know, to his credit, I mean, he had himself in the position, but Tiger, in order to win, has to have a really good day, but he also needs other people to come up short. Remember, Molinari fell apart. Mm-hmm. on the last day and that kind of opened the window for tiger because he's just with his back at this point you know he can't hit the distance that some of these younger guys on the tour can you know i i mean he can make the weekend i wouldn't be surprised to see him on the weekend and, and in the money but i wouldn't necessarily consider him a contender to win barring some you know other people struggling well guys the phone lines are lighting up but we're out of time so if you have the 1990 National Championship Lacrosse Trophy, please tweet at us at 3ILPod. Like us on Facebook. Raise a review on whatever forum you listen to us on. And please listen to us again next week. Hopefully we will be back. For Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, Colin Lerner, Kevin O'Keefe, and Matt from Pennsylvania, have a great week. 